Welcome to the Board Agenda podcast, where leading thinkers on business and management are interviewed about strategic business issues and their impact on boardroom decisions and company performance. For more expert insights on emerging boardroom issues, go to boardagenda.com. In this episode of the Board Agenda podcast, we interview Sir Donald Bryden, a highly experienced and prominent chair of leading public companies, about his career as a non-executive director, what he believes to be the priorities for boards today, and his views on audit reform. Hello, and welcome to the Board Agenda podcast. My name is Gavin Hinks, and joining me today is veteran board member Sir Donald Bryden. Sir Donald is the chair of Tide Holdings and a former chair of the London Stock Exchange, Sage, the Software House and Royal Mail. He's also the author of a report looking at the work of auditors that will form the bedrock for government reforms later in the year. But for today's purposes, Sir Donald is also the most recent winner of the Lifetime Achievement Accolade at the Non-Executive Director Awards, one of the city's most prestigious events. And he's with us today to talk about being an NED. Welcome, Sir Donald. Hello, how are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. So, Donald, you've served on boards for many years. How have you seen the role of the NED change over that time? I think it's been a really interesting journey. I've been on FTSE 100 boards for 25 years, uh, and I've seen a real shift in what happens. I think at the beginning, uh, there was less formality, uh, there was more a sense that the board was there to help, uh, less to govern, um, and there was less specific responsibilities for individual board members or non-executive board members. I think people have had to learn uh, about different stakeholder world over the last 25 years. And thinking about that question of help and governance, uh, in, in a way, I think it was sort of 90% help and 10% governance 25 years ago you'd have to say it was probably more like 40% help and uh, 60% governance today. Expectations of board members in the period have grown significantly, uh, often beyond, I think, what they're uh, actually got the ability to deliver. Uh, And we've seen one other development in this time, which I think is notable and quite interesting. And that is we've seen the emergence of careers in non-executive direct lives. Um, it was almost inconceivable that 25 years ago, somebody would have said, I'm seeking a career as a non-executive director. Now you hear it a lot. And I worry about that because non-executive directors are only of value if they're independent. And if you're dependent on a career, perhaps you're no dependent as you used to be. That's a very interesting set of insights. You talk about that balance between help and governance. Has that has that helped or hindered the non-executive as as that has changed? I think it's made it harder for the non-executive because the expectations of the governments uh, have grown. Uh, and uh, at the same time, it creates the opportunity for slightly more division uh, between the non-execs and the executives. Um, I mean, if you go back 50, 60 years, I think most board appointees were friends of the and we're really there to act as uh, helpers, advisors, and possibly introducers uh, for for the business. Um, That was a role that was worth having, but it's been overtaken now by the need to check and police 
uh, and ensure that sorts of codes and other interests are being taken into account, which must make for many executives a frustration because their priorities and the priorities of the board may not be absolutely the same uh, at any one time. Uh, it's all manageable and navigable, uh, but uh, I think it's harder. I was going to say, um, but I think you've answered my question, whether whether it's um, produced better businesses. I don't know how you would measure that successfully. Uh, there seem to be less of the sort of Halpern-type scandals in major public companies that there were uh, 30 years ago. Um, on the other hand, the cost of governance has gone up, and so presumably returns are, are slightly damaged as a consequence. Um, whether that's a material amount or not, I don't know. And that you can't do all this in a vacuum because this has to in the society we live in. And if it's what society demands and wants from business, uh, then it's not a question of whether it's produced a better return or a worse return. It's Has it produced the return that the society wants? Uh, and by and large, I think that works. But we need to be careful. And uh, uh, I'm very conscious of the fact that change is generally resisted. Uh, I mean, for example, I remember when, when the SID concept was first announced, uh, there was lots of angst and anxiety and, and doubts about whether it would be any value. And it's proved to be a great value, similarly with board reviews. But I think we'll go on evolving and changing. Um, so it's not perfect, but we need to be careful and thoughtful in the way in which we do that. Um, you mentioned the movement towards NED careers, and and I... And I wanted to take play devil's advocate for a moment. I surely, if someone is focused on a career as an NED, they're focused on the values and the right outcomes as an NED. But you, you, you seem to bristle against that slightly. I worry about the remuneration consequences and the lifestyle consequences. So, for example, uh, there was a moment in the last decade when one board member said to me that she'd been offered a position on another board. Uh, there was a degree of conflict involved and how did I think we could manage that? Um, and when I said to her, actually, I didn't think she could do the other job because it was too conflicted. Mm. Well, the net present value of the fees from the other job are much better than the net present value of the fees from this one. So I'm going to do the other one. Uh, that seems to me to be completely the wrong value set. Maybe I had the wrong director in the first place. but. Uh, if if the fees are what drive you to be a non-executive director, you are unlikely to be very independent because you're dependent on keeping your nose clean, not just for this job, but for the prospect of getting another job. Uh, and I think that's quite a worrying trend. Um, there have been many um, developments uh, across the business sector in technology, politics, societal attitudes that have affected NEDs. What do you think has been the big, biggest challenge over the years? Um, two, I think. Um, the evolution of a regulatory environment where there's been the growth of the last 25 years of the so-called independent regulators, uh, all of the regulation that's flowed from that, particularly uh, significant in the financial services sector, but also in utilities and other places, so regulation is one, uh, and undoubtedly tech is the other, because every company now, one way or the other, is a tech company. 
uh, and people who are xenophobes really do find it hard now, I think, to be uh, serious directors of major companies. So those have been huge changes. I think you could add a third, which is the requirement on stakeholder management, the need to understand a much wider range of stakeholder interests. Uh, keep focus on the, the core shareholder interest that you're there uh, specifically to represent. Just resting on that for a moment, is is it possible to manage those stakeholder interests or are there too many conflicting interests to do that properly whilst keeping an eye on shareholder concerns? I think you do your best. Uh, nothing is perfect. Uh, everybody will not get everything that they all want. Uh, but if you're seen to be uh, approaching problems with the right values, the right purpose, the right mindset, uh, then I think uh, most reasonable accept that they don't get everything they want in life. Uh, and uh, as long as there's good prioritization uh, and you understand what's the most important at a moment of stress, uh, then yes, I think that is, uh, that is manageable. Um, you mentioned um, the demands on NEDs, and that, and that raises the question of changing requirements for skills. How, how have those demands changed in terms of the skills an NED needs? And is it possible for an NED to keep up? Um, well, with the help of board agenda and people like you, it uh, probably But the, uh, uh, I think it does demand more of the non-execs in terms of uh, continuous learning now than it did uh, uh, 30 years ago. Um, tech is obviously one a significant area. Uh, but it's true, uh, regulation demands that education is important. Um, I think more than that, too, we should think about internationalization. The business, many businesses have internationalized during the phase of globalization, which has also required new skills and new experience. And there's only so many seats around a board table if it's going to be effective. So I think people are starting to think about more imaginative ways of getting access to other advice. Uh, and I think we'll see as a consequence the growth of advisory boards uh, in the next uh, 20 years where specific advice is separated from the governance function, uh, which uh, I think management would welcome. Could you give us some insight about how you maintain your skills? I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm very interested about whether you have to dedicate special time to it or whether it's integrated into the reading and research you do around your roles? Um, people often ask me the most um, common characteristics of successful people. And I always start with curiosity. So because I'm naturally curious, I'm constantly reading and constantly chasing. Uh, and for example, when the government asked me to do the review of audit effectiveness, I was not an expert in audit going into the uh, exercise, but I studied it and learned and understood actually some of the things I didn't know before, which were really quite important. Um, so I think uh, attending seminars, attending webinars today, um, paying attention to new regulation uh, doesn't time. And you, uh, we're, we're flooded with information. So finding effective ways of uh, prioritizing that information flow is important and making sure that you stay current is important. Looking forward, what will be the biggest challenges of the future for NEDs? Obviously, we are emerging 
from the pandemic or still dealing with it in many ways. Uh, are, are developments from the pandemic going to frame or mold the future NED or are there other developments that will do that? I think the pandemic will, in retrospect, uh, be just another of the big challenges that we're on. Um, I, I, I think the one lasting consequence of the pandemic is we'll not be able to go back to a world in which there was poor communication with our workforces. And I think the uh, relationship between boards and the entire company will probably have changed uh, for the better as a consequence of the But other than that, uh, it's made for us a, a deeper agenda for boards. So uh, I'm not sure how many times over the last 25 years we've spent a lot of time on supply chains that we have now. And so that's the, the sort of um, change that will come from it. But I think looking to the future, um, I think there's a, a, a really big issue around the relationship and balance between the executives and the non-execs. I hinted at it with the, the comment about advisory boards, but we're being increasingly balkanized as uh, uh, there are those who are specialists in the remuneration committee and those specialists in the audit committee and so on. And that is demanding deeper and deeper skills of the individuals concerned. But that uh, works against the interests of a, a wide-ranging, common-sense-full uh, diversity. And we need to be very careful of that. The end of that story could well be some form of two-tier boards. Um, which uh, it feels as though we're traveling towards. And we need to, I think, have a proper dialogue around whether that's really what we want or whether the existing uh, unitary board isn't a, a uniquely good structure. I think uh, one of the things that will also challenge non-execs going forward is activism. Uh, it's now getting harder and harder to distinguish between a, a, a long-only investor and an activist. Um, and there are uh, all sorts of shades of gray on that spectrum. That's causing a lot of deeper thought about what a company is, what's the right uh, balance sheet structure for a company, why should it exist, should it exist in this space or should it uh, exist in another space, is it made up of the right components and so on. Many of those things, I would argue, were sort of taken for granted. You know, you were a FTSE 100 company, you were listed on the London Stock Exchange, you had these divisions and you were getting on with it. Now you're being, uh, there's a, an atmosphere of constant questioning. Uh, and we need to be careful that that constant questioning doesn't distract us, distract us from making, making returns on the core businesses. But uh, existential questions, I think, also uh, are relevant. Uh, and this is happening at a time when Although there's a, a growing number of activist investors, there's also, I think, a growing number of absentee investors. Uh, very interesting that legal in general should have said they're no longer going to dialogue with uh, boards over remuneration. Um, but actually, they're the owners. And if they're not, or they're standing in the shoes of the owners, and if they're not willing to have discussions with the boards that they elect, uh, then the board's going to have to think up its own uh, framework of uh, rules and so on, and that doesn't feel very. So, a qu big question, I think, for 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 Parliament in time, is what is the role of uh, the the asset management industry in in the ownership of British companies, and does it have obligations that it's not fulfilling? I think uh, 
a fourth challenge would be uh, the need to think of new ways of accessing patient capital. Uh, and that will require some new skills as well. And then if I just gave you two other phrases, uh, we're going to be facing a, a, a deglobalization world and we're going to be facing a decarbonization world. Both of those are major disruptions. Uh, and certainly in the second case, we've never seen anything like it before. So we'll have mountains of new challenges ahead of us. What kind of demands will this place on the non-executive director? Obviously, there's a lot of new information to acquire along the way. Yeah, and that's why, uh, and that that's why I think that the the governance structure may change, and that uh, uh, the use of um, other advisory bodies will grow, so that the the core governance piece becomes perhaps a bit sharper, and the advisory piece becomes uh, more distinct. Uh, going to mean more work, and uh, that's probably going to mean that non-executive directors get more expensive as well. I'm sure that will please some of them <laughs> along the way. Uh, um, let's just reflect a, a moment on governance, because you did um, compile the report for government on audit. But I wonder, before I turn to that very briefly, over the years, you've seen a great change in governance. It, Obviously, you anticipate possibly more to come. But what's been the, the biggest piece of governance change um, for you? you, you oh, earlier on, the, I think, sorry, I beg your pardon. The, the biggest change has undoubtedly been the separation of uh, the chief executive and the chairman. Mm. Uh, and a lot has stemmed from that. Uh, most of it very, very good. Uh, but some of it not, and the the uh, the very short term tenure of chief executives, I'm sure, has been in the fact that the chairman can fire the chief executive effectively. Uh, so that's put a jeopardy into the process that wasn't really there before. Now, of course, many cases it was highly desirable, but some cases it, it may not be quite so desirable. And having uh, FTSE 100 uh, uh, chairman with a tenure of four and a half years. Um, I think runs counter to the thoughts about how much we need to build long-term businesses. Uh, so uh, that's when, that's been the biggest change for sure. Would you like to see a change in approach there? No, no. I think I think by and large we've got we've got it about right. Uh, what we need is a change in approach from many of the investors to be longer term in their thinking. How do you find that um, working out? Are there still too many that are thinking way too short term about their investment? Um, there's still too much focus, on, uh, almost the noise in the system in terms of uh, uh, economic performance, uh, the grilling of chief executives in many cases, not all. I mean, there are some really great exceptions, uh, but a lot of it is, is minutiae. Uh, which uh, uh, really of itself doesn't move the dial. Uh, but understanding, you know, if you're thinking about a pharma company, worrying about this quarter's earnings is probably pretty unimportant. What matters is whether the R&D portfolio that's being developed is being managed in a very effective thought-term way to produce uh, uh, benefits in 20, 30 years' time. And uh, not enough of the dialogue is around those subjects. Now, let's turn to your work on audit. You you compiled a report. That report is being considered by 
the government and and that report was on the work of auditors. What do you hope to see out of your work? What's the biggest change you would like to see implemented? Well, I delivered the report on the 19th of December 2019. Um, So we're almost two whole years have passed with nothing happening, which has been very frustrating indeed. Uh, Nothing happening is not quite accurate because there was another consultation, but uh, we'd already consulted to death. So I'm not sure that another consultation was an optimal process at all, but it is a way of making a difficult problem uh, disappear down the road a bit. Uh, I wrote a, a report that was a solution. Instead of looking at one or two little pieces and just pulling them out and saying, you need to do this, that or the other, uh, I tried to create a, a, a holistic framework, which went right to the heart of what an audit is. I think it's a very much a second order question, who delivers the audit? There's a lot of discussion in the press, discussion around issues that I think are pretty much insoluble around market caps or market share caps or or shared audits or limiting the number of uh, companies that can be audited by one firm. What really matters is whether the audit product itself is good. It's a second order question, it? But I think the debate has been framed around the structure of the, the big four. And maybe that's been quite advantageous for the big four because that's such a difficult question to answer. Uh, and nobody in a top-down basis has managed to find a way of redefining how that market will work. Uh, that perhaps of the core issue, which is, is the audit itself any good? And are the auditors being well-educated, well-governed, uh, and well-held to account? So uh, there are a number of uh, issues I put into the report around a mindset change, that audit isn't, shouldn't be about uh, of the particular boxes have been ticked and certain rules have been followed. It should be more about trying to inform shareholders and starting with that uh, mindset of, uh, of information. It should be proportionate. It shouldn't be necessary for every company to be audited in exactly the same way. And companies should be able to have a dialogue with their shareholders or what things need to be audited and what things don't need to be audited. And a lot of that will depend on the quality of the management and the board and the trust that there is. I think there are a number of variables which are are not audited today, which it would be valuable to have audited. I think it's amazing there isn't a profession of auditing and the accountants continue to fight to try and stop there being one. And then you do need a strong regulator. And uh, it's very disappointing that uh, if I'm a bit frustrated that my report's been sitting on the shelf for two years, John Kingman must be even more frustrated because his has been on the shelf for three years. Yes, and Argo is still not in, in, in play. So uh, I'm not going to pick readers, out. Sorry, for our readers, Sir John Kingman advised uh, the creation of a brand new regulator with extra powers. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, there's some hopes that some of that is going to take place, but it's taking it's glacial in its timing and if you think about the parliamentary time it's possible to imagine this will still be being talked about when the next election is called and uh, again we'll have seen five wasted years so um, I don't want to call out individual pieces I want to say there has to be a holistic reform uh, because it's clear nobody people do not believe that the audit is fit today but there are super people doing super work to the to the existing rules um, more broadly to finish off uh sir donald what do you what are your hopes for the future for non-executives 
I hope that we can go on becoming more and more diverse. Uh, I hope the more attracted from different environments to be uh, participants in the, the governance journey and the advisory journey that goes with it. Um, I hope that uh, expectations are managed in such a way as uh, after the event, when a world, there will be failures. When a failure occurs, it's not assumed that everybody was asleep at the time, uh, that the expectations are, are realistic. Uh, and I hope for most of them, it remains uh, a really fun, interesting and worthwhile thing to do. So Donald Bryden, on that note, thank you very much for joining us today. And that's all from the Board Agenda podcast. You can catch up with all the governance news, I should say, at boardagenda.com. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was a podcast brought to you by Board Agenda. For the latest thinking about corporate governance and to access a complete online resource for boards and directors, register or log on at boardagenda.com. Thanks for listening.